Hey everyone, I'm Josh. And I'm Dan. And you found your way to the Last Vestige podcast. Named after a music store we went to in college to dig through cheap and used CDs in search of new music, each episode will take a deep dive into an album front to back. We'll share our thoughts on the music and whatever other interesting stuff we can dig up on the album, the artist, or anything else we come up with. No music theory or music experience is necessary, and no recording or genre is off limits. So whether you're making your living as a musician or just looking for a conversation to put on in the background, we hope you'll find something here for you. What started as an excuse for Dan and I to call each other and geek out on music became an excuse for us to start a podcast. Welcome to Last Vestige. Today we're looking at the album All These Years by the group Solace. They're an Irish folk supergroup, and this is their 20th anniversary, so they've actually brought back every member who's performed with them on this. All These Years is a blend of Irish folk and some American tunes, all in the Sullis signature style. We get into band changes quite a bit in the episode, so I'm just going to throw it past this Bye. But we are looking at the album all these years by the band Solus, who is not the bad guy from Dragon Age Inquisition. Spoilers for a game that's like five years old at this point. Yep. So I, one of the things that I've come across in my not, I won't say far reaching research because it was actually a little challenging to do research on this band, but I have found that the proper pronunciation is Solus. Okay. Like S U H dash L E S S because they are uh, an Irish folk band, most of whom hail from Ireland or were raised in Ireland. Seamus Egan, the founding father of this band, was born in Pennsylvania and then oh, weird. moved, and then his family moved to Ireland. And then he eventually settled in America. Okay. But huh. other members of the band. So the main cornerstones are Seamus Egan and Winifred Horan. Okay. Who, like I said, I've got a couple windows with a bunch of information and I want to make sure that I attribute the right info to the right people. So Seamus Egan is a multi-instrumentalist. And Winifred Horan plays the fiddle. And the two okay. of them have been in Solace since the beginning, which the the band formed in 96. And yeah. Yeah, because this is the like anniversary edition yes. of this album. Yeah, correct? so this is their this album marks their 20th anniversary. So cool. the band formed in 96 almost uh like a jam session in a pub Seamus decided to get a few musicians together for a music festival in massachusetts so the origins sound a whole lot like the origin of nickel creek where <laughs> they were just like yeah well, let's get together for a bluegrass festival let's do this um, if you were playing folk music the easiest thing to do is just to meet people at local jams um yeah that makes sense. And also it's fun <laughs> to do. Which is, yeah. So I guess Seamus Egan got together Winifred Horan 
I now there are a lot of very Irish names that are going to come up through this podcast. Mm-hmm. I hope I pronounce them correctly. I'm going to do my best, but just like <laughs> my wife way in the background goes, you won't. No, <laughs> I won't pronounce them correctly. Um, but I'll do my best. I've got a couple easy ones. So the founding members, Seamus Egan, Winifred Horan, guitarist John Doyle, okay. and accordionist John Williams. Not that John Williams, but a John Williams. So he um, didn't write Star Wars, is what you're telling me. I don't believe so. Unless he, Star Wars originated on the accordion and then was composed from there. It'd be really funny if John Williams just like moonlighted in a Celtic folk band. <laughs> I would love but, that. Uh, so I've got a Huffington Post article that, that talks about the band's origins. And Seamus said that the band, when they founded, found themselves going up for the weekend without much of a plan or any kind of rehearsal. And uh, after a good reception by the audience, he thought to himself that he'd just love to make one album. And that was that was the extent of his plans. Okay. Uh, and then it just kind of went from there. It does seem like the recording is like not, it's not Portis head spotty, but it's not, it's kind of all over the place time wise. It is all over the place as far as the timelines go. And I think part of that comes down to band member rotation. Okay. Because there's been a lot of rotating in and out. So their first album was in 96. Yeah. That's at least where Spotify has an album list. Yep. And it was a self-titled Sullis. Then they had Sunny Spells and Scattered Showers in 97. There are five members in the band in the album pictures. Yeah. So they added another member. Like I said, there are a lot of rotating members. I know we'll get to a comprehensive list of everyone that's ever been in the band. We'll get there. I'm going to very quickly jump ahead and say my first general note which is just there's a ton of people in this band if we go off of names on the record cover yes <laughs> like so many names yes there are there there really are and like i said we'll i will get there because i think it's important to explain why that is but first the band has had 12 albums altogether this is their 12th studio album they're it was in 2016. The album that came out before that, Shamrock City, is a concept album. But oh. then all of the other albums before that were just studio recorded albums aside from Reunion, which is a live album. Okay. Reunion hmm. came in 2006 and it was their 10th anniversary. Decade album, yeah. Yeah. So they were so busy in 2006. Yeah. So they were three albums in well, in two, yeah, they've got Waiting for an Echo, The Words That Remain, and then they did Reunion, a decade of Solace, and they did a reunion show that they also recorded, not just the audio, but video. So if you buy Reunion, you get the concert also, like a a DVD of it. Okay. Um, And for Reunion, they brought back all of the members, all the various members of Sullis that had played in the band up to that point. Oh, cool. So, in the same fashion, 10 years after that, in 2016, 
that brings us to this album, All These Years, which started with a Kickstarter, yep. and it was, or or at least they raised some money to support it with a Kickstarter. And what they said was, they did their 10th anniversary with a live concert in Philly, and they called it Reunion, and it was awesome. And so now that it's been 10 years since then, what should we do to mark our 20th anniversary? They noted that a lot of bands on a big anniversary just release a best of. Yeah. Maybe they make one new song, like I like to reference because he has a lot of great stories. In Dave Grohl's book, he was talking about when the Foo Fighters released their greatest hits album, and he had to record what he typically thinks of as the shitty single that you record for an album of greatest hits just to try and get schmucks to go out and buy it for that one new song and all the other songs they like. And, (laughs) And... there are times that I don't disagree with him on that because no. I've bought greatest hits albums and I've been like, oh, like there's another song on here, but or two other songs, but meh. I was actually gonna say when you mentioned the one new single that bands record, I was like, so the one that nobody cares about. Exactly. The one you that is always the worst one on that album. You get all the greatest hits, and then at the tail end of the album, you get a couple other songs, maybe. Yep. Sometimes you get like Stained did a greatest hits album and it included four or five covers at the end of it that were covers of like Tool and Alice in Chains. And so that like at the time that I listened to Stained, that was kind of cool because there were other bands that I liked and it was a band that I liked covering other bands that I like and they didn't do a bad job of it. But yeah. then other times you get greatest hits plus, which is Metallica's S and M. Oh yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, for, like at uh, the time when we were in high school, that was a, in college, that was a great, that was a hell of an album. Yeah. I don't know why my brain immediately snapped to load and I was like, oh, that's terrible. Mm, no. <laughs> uh-uh. um, you could look at Linkin Park's reanimation as greatest hits plus, but I digress. Yeah. That brings us to what Solis decided to do 10 years after reunion, which was, stating that they wanted to look to the future instead of the past. So instead of just doing a best of compilation or doing another reunion concert, they wanted to record an album of all new material, all new recordings, songs that they'd never done before. Um, Which Dan and I were talking about this before we press record. This is an Irish folk band at its core or even if you take the, the Irish roots out of it, it's a folk band, which means that this album has quite a bit of co- a good handful of covers on it. But folk artists doing covers is kind of a folk standard anyway. So to say an album of all new material doesn't necessarily mean an album of all original compositions never heard before. Right. Yes. But, I've actually played one of these songs myself. <laughs> I remember you saying that, and that was really funny to me. Which one? Which one was it? Or do you want to wait until we get to that song? We'll wait till we get there. Fun. That that brings us to the other big, really ridiculously ambitious uh, venture in this album, which was bringing together all the members of Solace that have ever ever played in the band. So 
it began with Seamus Egan, Winifred Horan, who goes by Wynn, uh, John Doyle and John Williams, John Doyle on guitar and John Williams on accordion, Seamus Egan on everything under the sun, and Winifred Horan on fiddle. But the band quickly started rotating people out, not by any bad blood or anything, but just musicians come and go sometimes in bands like this. John Doyle went on to do solo stuff and play with other people. He has a very extensive catalog on his own. And yeah, the same thing happened with a lot of other artists who came, mostly vocalists rotated out, but then there were some other, there were other guitarists and multi-instrumentalists. So without further ado, here is the comprehensive list of people who have played in Solace and who play on this album at one point or another. Seamus Egan, Winifred Horan, Karen Casey, John Doyle, John Williams, Mick McCauley, Donald Clancy, Deirdre Sconlon, Eamon McElhome, Merid Felon, Felon? I know I got that one wrong. Naim Varian Barry, Noriana Kennedy, Moira Smiley, and Johnny Connolly. Along with them, they also brought in who they call or who they refer to as dear friends and honorary members of the band, uh, Chico Huff, who plays bass, Ben Whitman, who does some drums and percussion, John Anthony, who is recording, mix engineer, drums and percussion, and Trevor Hutchinson on bass, which is a huge number of people. Yeah, it's a lot. Also, thank you for jumping on that grenade of trying to pronounce all of those names you're welcome uh <laughs> i counted up 18 there i think that's about right 18 it's a ton of people yeah and they really did all of them came into the studio all of them are on the album at one point or another if you listen to previous Sullis stuff this one seems to have maybe more dense instrumentation like instead of two guitars at one time there are three guitars there's also a wide range of instruments on here. It's not just traditional guitars or the accordion, like I mentioned. So yeah, there's in in Irish music and in in this there is fiddle, flute, tenor, banjo, mandolin, guitar, yep. bazooki, which is an yeah. Irish guitar. Bazooki is uh, fun. Yeah, John Doyle plays guitar and bazooki. I quick shout out know the guy who makes his instruments. His name is Kevin Miterman, and his instruments are phenomenal. Um, Miterman is not, it sounds like Spider Man, but it's M U I D E R M A N. Uh, his guitars are great. But yeah, John Doyle plays those. Whistle, button accordion, and piano, along with five string banjo, bass, ukulele, percussion, and more stuff on this album but all those instruments appear at one point or another so it makes for some instrumentally dense music but in in great ways it doesn't feel muddy i think which kind of gets into album thoughts but but yeah this album has a lot of people on it there's no other way to slice that like i said the album started out as a kickstarter they raised forty six thousand. they had 726 backers they had some really cool rewards. Yeah. And they got people to fund quite a bit of them. Some of them kind of kind of big. So 
there were the basics like you get a digital download of the album or the first single uh you get a signed copy of the cd they if you pledge 50 dollars, then or more than you got video of their time in the studio especially with the founding members and then for 75 dollars or more seamus and win will record your voicemail for you <laughs> and like send it to you uh there's some pictures and stuff like that uh pen pal from the road but huh. some of the really cool ones tickets to a show some of the cool ones though are like if you spend if you pledged twelve hundred dollars or more they would record a song of your choosing oh my gosh and dedicate it to you or someone of your choice oh my gosh they deliver it in video format and just send it to you uh if you pledge 1500 or more you got to join them at the christmas celtic sojourn in boston and they would take you and a friend out to dinner and show you around backstage and let you choose your seats ahead of the show (laughs) if you pledge 2000 or more oh so backers for these things nobody backed that one the christmas sojourn Uh there were some that i noted that that were cool ones that did get backed if you pledge 2000 or more, you could commission an, or, an original tune by Seamus and Wynn for whatever occasion you chose. Huh. Nobody backed that one. Nobody yeah. backed this one. If you pledged 75, if you pledged 7,500 bucks or $7,500, they would be your band for a track. That's awesome. So they would just be hired guns for you, which would be awesome. You could send them a tune. They'd record accompaniment return a ready to release track that's funny. certain conditions apply but if you pledged nobody did this either but if you pledged 10 grand they'd give you a concert at your house blow you could just hire them to come out they for Death 300 bucks you can get a fiddle lesson house. from win that's cool yeah there are some cool ones on here i'm trying to find there was one or two really noteworthy one there were a few for like 500 bucks three people backed this you and a friend got tickets to any Solace headlining show in 2016, and you got to join the band for dinner before the show. Hmm. For a thousand dollars, which one person backed, you could introduce them before the concert, and you would get a dinner date with them. One person backed that, and this was the coolest one by far. And one person backed it. If you pledge twenty five hundred dollars or more, Seamus's father, who's an accomplished sculptor, will create a completely unique work of art out of winds bows from 20 years of touring and recording. Oh my gosh. That's wild. <laughs> out of a, out of a pile of roasted bows. Yeah. Came a sculpture. There's actually a, there's a, a picture of it, not of the sculpture. I don't know what the sculpture turned into, but there's a picture of a, just a pile of winds as it says, winds dead bows. Like I said, it was, you know, you get Kickstarters that are okay. You get Kickstarters that come with the very normal things of here you go. You get you get a signed album. Uh, you get some photocopies of lyric sheets. That was one as you got actual legit copies of written lyric sheets from the album recording for some amount. But the sculpture one is really cool introducing the band at a show that's cool yeah. dinner with the band is cool i know a, bu- a couple of people like a handful of them pledged for that one 
So, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. But we'll move into album notes because we've talked a bit about history a lot. I will just note the at this time, at the time of recording this album, the firm members of the band were Seamus Egan and Wynn Horan, and then accordionist Mick McCauley, guitarist Eamon McElham, and vocalist Moira Smiley, who was brand new for this album. She hadn't been a vocalist previously. We'll mention the other vocalists as they do certain tracks. I have those in my notes. And then the other early band members that came on, accordionist John Williams and guitarists John Doyle and Donal Clancy. Every time you say John Williams, it breaks my brain a little bit. I know. I'm right there with you. But that brings us to me wondering what Dan's thoughts are, because this album was my pick, and I uh, just an idea on why I picked it, along with hearing a lot about John Doyle from my friend Kevin and him telling me a lot about John's history and kind of his influence on the music scene but also this band's influence on Irish folk and just Irish cultural music in general. It was interesting. We haven't done a, an album like this before. And so it sounded like a, an interesting cultural dive. So what'd yeah, you think? I really liked it. I weirdly don't feel like I have a lot of notes on this one. And as far as like deep listening, it took me a couple listens to really like go through the whole album. Mm-hmm. But I love this kind of music, honestly. It's such a weird... It's something that I have played in the past, but always like have a fondness for. Mm-hmm. Which people who only know me from this and bringing things like 100 Gex to the table might be surprised <laughs> at, but... <laughs> well, I mean, you, you're the person that introduced me to uh, Punch Brothers and mm. the Goat Rodeo Sessions. That's true. You um, came to see Chris Dealey with us that time. Yeah, I did. My mom actually had the tickets to that show. We didn't even know you guys were going to be there until after <laughs> I talked to you about it. And you said, oh, yeah, we're going to be at that show, too. And I don't think it was assigned seating. So I think we ended up all sitting together and everything. Yeah. We just had all our families gathered up. Yeah. No, Chris um, Dealey's amazing. I was going to say, side note to everybody listening, if you ever get a chance to see Chris Dealey play, please go yeah do yourself a favor it's just a fun it doesn't time matter what what he if he's playing in a group or if he's playing with one other person or if he's doing a solo it'll be a unique and wonderful experience it's just a fun um but yeah i i do really like it it's funny because i also looked into like how much stuff there was instrumentally on here and it i don't know that it always comes across i can agree with that which is kind of a bummer because there is a ton. <laughs> now, when you say that, because I, I said I agree with that, but I yeah. have my own thoughts on what you meant by that. What yeah. I'm hearing is that the there are a lot of instruments doing a lot of things, but you're not sure sonically it, it comes yes. across that way. Yes, which in some ways can be a really good arrangement. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Once I looked into it, because well, at first I was like, Alright, this is like pretty straight up. And then I was like, there's a lot of people in this band though. Like, what's going on here? And then I kind of looked at it and I was like, they have a lot of stuff going on. Not like <laughs> on every track, but like 
there's a lot of stuff happening here. I don't know that I can always like tell that. <laughs> yeah, I have some notes that I'll talk through on some of the tracks that specifically speak to that. Okay. Uh, and some of it came out on after multiple listens. Mm. And some of it came out just from thinking about it in terms of the instruments themselves, because sometimes one instrument sounds like another instrument. Yeah, that's true. Like we've got banjos and bazookies and guitars and they depending on the effects and the way that you pluck them not that because these are all acoustic instruments not that they're affected like distortion or fuzz but (laughs) the amount of reverb or the way you even record it the mic positioning and stuff sometimes makes an instrument sound similar enough to another that you're not sure which it is or if they're playing together and they're playing the same thing or a harmony of it then it kind of you get this melding of them yeah but it was i don't know it's a really fun album to listen to like it seems like they were having a lot of fun playing it i really i'd love both of the they only do two right yeah the like multi-song kind of arrangements that they did like tracks four and eight there yeah um those are super fun of those tracks i believe for the most part they are standards yeah however the quiet pint is noted in an article that i read as being written by seamus egan oh, so cool. it's an original it's an original composition that pops up in the others nice that's so fun the quiet pint is the middle piece in track four which we'll get to but it just seemed worth mentioning here yeah so i actually have who wrote the the songs that aren't covers for the most part i have who wrote those in my notes and i'll i'll be pointing those out i thought it was fun too i thought it was a a really interesting album overall it has some depth to it that i didn't fully expect i wasn't sure initially if we were going to get a more true to its roots irish folk kind of album Hmm. uh or if it was going to be, I didn't really, having known some of the history, and I've listened to John Doyle's solo stuff before, and it's it's very Irish folk. I didn't expect it to be watered down in that way. I didn't think it was going to be like a pop version of that or anything. Mm-hmm. But in some instances, this struck me as a a very open-minded album, not just a an album that was going to play the stand what are considered standards or cover songs that are only often heard at folk festivals and stuff like that Mm. it there were times listening to this album that i was reminded of listening to the punch brothers okay there were times listening to this album that i was reminded of movie scores or even as weird as it sounds mid-2000s country okay I'll note some tracks as sounding that way more than others, whether it's vocal tonality or or melodic choices. But through all of the things that any track reminds me of, this album is always more complex than what it reminds me of because the arrangements on this album are just really well done by very over-the-top talented musicians. But like you said, there's a lot going on, but it doesn't come across that way. Yeah. There's 
army of string instrument moments. Yep. But you have to sit and really hone in on any given instrument to to pick it out, or it just sounds like some nice harmony arrangement. And I think that's great. I think it makes the album more listenable. Yeah. That, in that regard. Yeah. It is. I like what you said about there's there's a lot of like really talented artists on here, but it's not always like they're not hitting you in the face with it. In some ways, people who really know how to play with other people. Yeah. They're not overplaying. No. In a lot of ways, it's even more subtle than like a Punch Brothers record or something like that. Not that they're not not that the lack of subtlety is like a problem for me, but like you can tell on their records that they're all really like crazy good players. Yeah, you can. I think I think this album has like moments of that, mm-hmm. but there are also moments, a lot of moments really, where the instrumentalists take a way back seat to give the vocals room to breathe and room to show how good they are. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which... a thing that you see less on Punch Brothers albums, um, because their vocalists are the same, pretty yeah. prominent. Whereas yeah. on this, we have a lot of different vocalists. Sometimes you have different vocalists doing harmonies, and sometimes you have vocalists harmonizing with themselves. Yeah. And that might be one of my things here is like, I'm always so much more drawn to the, the stuff in this style that's instrumental. Mm-hmm. That, like, that's a personal preference thing by all means. Yeah. But that's, I think, something I found out both through listening to this and then talking through it just now. (laughs) Well, I was really curious as we often come back to how you were going to feel about the slow songs on this album, because depends on the song (laughs) and in this style of music, a slow song is very common. Oh yeah. For for vocals. Yes. The, the fast upbeat reels are instrumentals. Yeah, there's not a lot of vocals along it. The slower vocal stuff is what you get in between those. Yeah, so I was wondering what your thoughts are on those, and I'm sure we'll get individual thoughts as we go. But you haven't said the album was bad because of it, and I think that's noteworthy. Yeah, no, I actually really like this album. I like I said, I don't know that I have a lot of notes on any individual song, which makes me feel a little weird. But I mean, we we do usually dive deep into songs but the thing that that made it harder for me to get notes on this is despite little similarities here and there a lot of the things that i heard on this album were unique to this album or to these artists on this album it was unique it stands out it stands on its own i'm not there weren't times on this album that i found myself going this sounds like this other thing that i already listened to yeah and I'm very, very strongly reminded of it. Oftentimes it's a like a passing sensation that I noticed or a passing tone. But this this album does it different. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was cool. I do think it's a really cool album. I think they yeah, I'm glad. They did a good job doing a mix of traditional and non traditional, or at least like new stuff, but all yeah. having it be very cohesive uh-huh which is i feel like harder than it seems a lot of the time <laughs> no i can i can agree because this album does feel it feels very cohesive but when i sat down and 
picked things apart or went into histories of certain songs, it's not at all straightforward, cohesive. We're all over the place. The only things that are pretty common threads, or the only common thread really, is that all but one, I believe, maybe all but two songs are, at least on, on the covers, if you like we said, if you want to call them covers, um, are from artists with ties to Ireland in some way, shape, or form. Whether they're an Irish-American or they were born in Ireland and moved here. So when I say Irish-American, I'm referring to like people with Irish heritage, uh, like their parents were, or grandparents came from Ireland. Or just straight up, they were born in Ireland and they grew up there. Or that that's the majority of the covers. Or the person is a late 1800s, early 1900s poet in Ireland. That's cool. And this, their poetry was made into a song. So there is a lot of Irish heritage throughout. I think that's a very notable thing that this band stays true to even though they are also it's funny there's a quote in here here it is he the interviewer asked Seamus if he feels responsible to honor the history and authenticity of Celtic music while they embrace other genres like jazz and bluegrass and everything else that they throw into this and he says that he doesn't think that they feel inherently responsible to honor the authenticity they grew up with it as part of their lives and it's still a driving force in the music we make. It's such the, This is the biggest quote, though. It's such a strong tradition that it's more than able to withstand whatever we throw at it. <laughs> I like that. I do, too. I think it really speaks to the bravado of Celtic folk music. Yeah. Even in, like, kind of the small area that we grew up which was not like particularly irish in any way at least not growing up next to massachusetts <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> um, i mean that's, that's true i like my, but like you could find folks doing like irish folk jam sessions oh yeah definitely i think i was it was a little easier for me to know that those things were happening because my grandmother on my mom's side was very invested in the the local Irish community, but that's because her father came over from Ireland. All right. Her her and or maybe it was her father-in-law. I don't remember. I just know that directly on that side there was Irish heritage to the point where she was culturally involved in in that community in Troy. Yeah. And yeah, I'm not saying that they're but no, I, I get there, what you're saying. It, like, it's not like it was Ma- It's not like it was Boston. Yeah, yeah. If you think about like an Irish stronghold in the Northeast, it's it's Boston. I guess that brings us into yeah. I'll, I'll kick it off with the first song. So the first song is called Rory Bumlers, which I found out is actually Scots for a fast moving storm cloud. I also found. Yeah, mostly because um, the title kind of made me laugh before that. But. <laughs> It is, but like when you find out that it it means a fast moving storm cloud, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, kind of, kind of descriptive in that way. This track is awesome. I think yeah. it's a great way to kick off the album. And I, this is one of those times where I think there are a lot more instruments here than you realize it when you first listen to it. 
if you pick apart the different plucked instruments, there's a lot going on and they're harmonizing with each other, but I don't think it can be played by just two or three people. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe it can be. I've heard some pretty crazy stuff played by one person that sound like two or three. Yeah. But but if you've got 18 people in the studio, why not use a lot of them? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, I really think this tune is cool. It's a really fun way to talk, like, kind of kick off the album. Mm-hmm. Um, there's bass in this track. There is. We have bass. And it's like pretty clearly just like a mic to upright kind of mm-hmm. thing. It's not like, it's not overproduced. Mm-hmm. I think all the instruments on this album are really well recorded. Yeah. Yeah. It's they not sound very natural. It feels really good. I was going to say, it's not poorly recorded either. It Mm-mm. feels. A lot of the t- tracks in this album, even though I don't think this was the case, sound like it was like a lot of people in the room kind of jamming. Mm-hmm. That's probably not the case, but like the fact that they got that across is pretty impressive. Yeah, no, I agree. I say that especially because having like 18 people on a studio session is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, and I, I didn't find any record of this, but these artists strike me as the kind of people who would prefer to record a live session yeah where they're all just playing the track together with minimal to maybe even no overdubs yeah i really like the rhythm of this track yeah there's a lot of like offbeat hits that are really cool yeah it's got it it's got a good groove to it there's also a really notable sound that i'm not sure which instrument makes it but it's a like a scratchy skip. Hmm. It's really noticeable halfway through the song during the string solos. It's it's a triplet, but it's really scratchy. It's not a definitive note. I'm not hmm. sure if it's from the fiddle or maybe it's a weird thing that the button accordion does. Maybe I quickly went back to like the middle and hmm. I was definitely hearing some like bow scratches, which, yeah, if you record really close to the like kind of sound holes, you're going to get. Yeah, but these these are intentional. They're very specifically rhythmically thrown in there. Yeah, which and I mean, it's cool. I liked it. It was those are the things that I, I thought stood out as super unique that I'm not used to just like hearing thrown into other songs, even songs with fiddle or violin or cello or or any other bowed instrument like you said it might be a common thing to hear but yeah i don't often hear it used with intention yeah yeah it's i feel like it's something where once you get to a certain level and you're kind of like recording that kind of stuff you might do just to kind of add a little extra but the fact that they're doing it i i fully agree is like really cool yeah it's it adds like a this kind of triplet stutter step in there. It it creates its own groove within the the string solo bridge section where everything else has dropped out. And so it is in the spotlight and they they use that for part of the groove. And I, I just liked it. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Uh this track is an a Seamus Egan composition. So it is an original to this album huh it's 
it's kind of like hard to tell which ones are and aren't honestly yeah no i agree this track reminds me a bit of something that like it has a, a goat rodeo sessions feel to it in yeah that they were just like let's literally throw everything at it which for <laughs> those that don't know the goat rodeo sessions are an album by the main members of the goat rodeo sessions album now albums they've done a second one are cello or cellist yo-yo ma uh fiddle player when do when do we maybe you can help me with this because you're Mm -hmm. more steeped in this when do i differentiate between a violin and a fiddle Mm. is it how it's played i usually go by how it's played i think if you want to get really technical there's some differences but i don't remember what they are so we'll say he's a fiddle player but uh stuart duncan bass player edgar meyer and mandolin player chris thiele and they as far as i remember now dan introduced me to them so he i'm sure knows more than i do even about them but they're also a bit of a multi-instrumentalist group in that I know Stuart Duncan plays a bunch of stuff. He's got a fiddle, a banjo, and a mandolin all with him in this concert. But they pretty much got together and were like, "What? how can we just like play super complicated stuff all together at the same time in a, a way that has to go off well or the entire show is going to fall apart? This track has that kind of a feel where there's a lot going on all of the parts are moving all the time. And if if anybody drops the ball, this thing is just gonna have the wheels come off. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Which the goat rodeo sessions are wild in that way too. And they're they're great tracks. But this has that feel to it to me. For it the really opener. does. Yeah. For the opener. Yeah, it's a hell of an opener. <laughs> so that's all I have on it. I think it's a cool track. I like the the rhythm of it. I think it's it feels like it keeps building, which I like. Sorry, I went down a rabbit hole on violin versus fiddle. Uh, it depends mm. on who you ask. The New Grove Dictionary of Music and Musicians has fiddle as a generic term. Okay. For any string instrument played with a bow. Um, Interesting. Which I think is where I got the, they're technically different. But mm. usually fiddle is a violin used in Irish, Scottish, French, traditional music. And all of the okay. descendant American styles, so Appalachian bluegrass, Cajun, etc. I was going to bring up Appalachian. That's what I meant to bring up. Yeah, as a another thing that this reminds me of. But yeah, so they are the same. It's just a matter of like colloquial or not, and what they're playing. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I was just curious on that. Oh no, that's. I think that that's useful information. Yeah, I don't have a lot on this one. I music nerd. just really liked this tune. And I think you're yeah. right. Like it's some of these are hard to take notes on because they have that sense of like if something went wrong, the the tune would fall apart. <laughs> yep. Which is impressive in of itself. Yeah. But no, I'm I'm good to move on to the next track then. Cool. Standing so, on the shore. Yeah, the next track is Standing on the Shore, which is a a cover of or a playing someone else some other folk singers song it's originally by johnny moynihan who was born in 1946 in fibsborough 
He's currently based in Dublin, both in Ireland. He's an Irish folk singer, and he's often credited with introducing the bazooki to Irish music in the mid-1960s. Oh, cool. So, this is the first, like I said, Irish folk cover. I don't know when Standing on the Shore originally came out, but this is sung by Moira Smiley. Oh. At the time, primary vocalist of Solos. I didn't realize this makes sense. Okay. The bazooki is a, originally a Greek instrument. Huh. They use a different tuning in Irish folk music, but yeah. Hmm. Huh. I thought that was Oh, I see here. Weird. Yeah. They use a different tuning G G D A D. Yeah. Instead of the modern Greek tuning of C F A D, which is very different in terms of like a G versus a C. Yeah. For the that top note. Yeah. Fifth for those that are interested for those that don't play a stringed instrument you don't care and that's fine <laughs> that's also fine <laughs> that's interesting and we'll i want to go into this on a different song but there is a point where like different i was struck listening to this how different kinds of folk music wind up sounding kind of similar in a lot of ways um go on not so much similar that's not quite right but like I don't, there's a lot of common threads i guess and i think some of that is shown by the fact that you could take like a Greek traditional instrument and just like transport it into Irish folk and change the tuning and it works just as well. Yeah. I I think, I don't know. A lot of those people are just into playing, but no, there's a song later on on this album that felt very Eastern European folk to me, mm-hmm. which is why I like even thought of it in the first place. It reminded me much more of like a, and it's, it's Scottish. I looked it up. But yeah, you just wind up seeing a lot of kind of similar stuff, I feel like. Mm-hmm. But anyway. So, uh, yeah, this this is the first slow song. The It starts with some really kind of dreamy harmonics or dreamy harmonies from what I referred to as the picked string army. Because I can't <laughs> call it an army of guitars on this track because it's yeah. more than just guitars. But it is definitely a a sizable collection of them yeah i really just like the vocal harmonies on here too i agree and the the vocal harmonies are good Mm -hmm. they are nice i like there's there's some echoes yeah or like kind of i don't know ghosting i don't know any other way to describe it it's like they're call and response but they're echoing kind of slight changes to what was said yeah it gives a the song itself really gives a great uh, feel to the name of the song. The imagery that comes from all the sounds and everything are standing on the shore alone on a kind of a gray day with some wind. Yeah, there does hit a point where I the song, I think, eventually, like instrumentally evolves a bit more. Mm-hmm. But I feel like at first they're really kind of relying on the singer. In some ways, this album kind of helped me clarify my thoughts on on ballads and slower songs a little bit, mm. which is that I just want more evolution musically in them <laughs> okay. a lot of the time. And I think that this song does do that. It just takes wrote, a little bit to get there. Yeah, I wrote, I do have a note for a while where like for a while I'm like, this 
songs all right eventually like the violin kind of comes in with this little like fading thing where you can hear him like like knowing knowing the playing sorry fiddle you can hear him like changing pressure on the bow since it's when it might actually be a her i'll clarify oh yes hear them (laughs) (laughs) they're like changing pressure and volume and it's kind of like fading in and out but it doesn't sound like a studio effect like it sounds like you can actually like hear them doing it with the instrument yeah because you just hear them like digging in a little bit more and then not that's the thing i noticed in like between classical guitarists or nylon string players versus your average electric player or just like steel string acoustic player is the ability to really control dynamics. Yeah. And so it wouldn't surprise me if like you were saying, whether they're controlling the dynamics through proximity to the mic or how they're playing, you know, you could do that too. You could start from the other side of the room and then slowly make your way closer to the mic. Yeah. Yeah. If anything on this one, because it's so intimate sounding, they're like pretty Mm -hmm. close. So they might just be leaning back and forth. Well, yeah, but but yeah, and then yeah, kind of as we get into the song, you get it's like a flute or a penny whistle or something yeah. else. It's like a higher pitched wind instrument. It's definitely not a string instrument, but I couldn't quite place exactly what it was because mm-hmm. it's just kind of droning. But it, it was cool to hear them like kind of eventually like open up and start adding more stuff into this. Yeah, it it definitely does bloom as it goes on. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I liked it. I think it's a it. It's a good intro to Moira's vocals. Yes. Each vocalist on this album has distinct qualities, and I think the songs are well-suited to each person's qualities, and so I think this one was good for her. Moira, actually, she's got other stuff. I think it's her her typical act that she is also with now is Moira Smiley and Voca, V-O-C-A. Okay. And then, hmm. or Voco, V-O-C-O. And then she also has individual stuff too, solo stuff, which she just came out with a new album in 2021, last year. No oh, cool. It's Moira Smiley. Oh, Moira Smiley and Voco, V-O-C-O, in our voices. So hmm. she's still doing stuff. Uh, she's got a great know, voice. Yeah, she does. She really does. I didn't mention it yet, but a year after this album and touring for this album, Solace went on indefinite hiatus. Okay. So the members, Moira Smiley and, and others, are doing their own thing now. Mm. I mean, I don't think it was it a bad like blood thing. Years, I think so. it was more just uh, we did this album. It was quite ambitious. Yeah. Thanks for all the fish. But yeah, I think that brings us to our third track. Which lay is me also, down yep lay me down is also a moira smiley track and it is even slower it is even slower it is also a cover okay uh this is from another irish artist who was born in cork uh, his name is gur wolf okay. unless i'm pronouncing his first name wrong which might be gare <laughs> it's g-e-r maybe okay. it's gare but his last name is that. wolf and gur wolf just sounds kind of i don't know interesting but yeah gare wolf is an established irish singer songwriter and multi-instrumentalist he's oh, recorded yeah. nine albums so far 
uh, all on the indie label Raggedy Records. So, <laughs> I. I mean, I thought this was a good song, and I might recommend checking him out if you want to dig more into the Irish singer-songwriter scene. But the song Lay Me Down, in my mind, starts like a mid-2010s worship song from Hillsong United, which their sound was very, or like, any like Christian worship songs around that time period were very heavily inspired by the reverby spacious sounds of U2. Okay. Like the stadium reverby sounds, which I yeah. thought was interesting because U2 is a band formed and originating in Ireland. Oh. So in my oh, yeah. mind, that all just kind of like tied together. But yeah, this song starts out with a lot of space. Yeah. Yeah. It is slow but it also feels like a standard. Yeah. I wrote her voice is really good, but I would love anything else to focus on besides that and piano chords. <laughs> okay. Which I do eventually get, but like takes a while. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the thing is like, sometimes I'm like, okay, like, I don't know. Just at being like a talented singer. It's like, I can hear you be a talented singer. Like, I don't know. I think we had thoughts like this on on the Adele album. Yes. yes. Where we are not denying the strong vocal talent. But I think in this song or on this album, the instrumentalists were allowed much more freedom. And that's no Yeah, they do eventually do some cool stuff. I really like that especially before like the fiddle comes in, the piano drops the bass notes out of the chord, so it would be the lowest note in the chord. Mm -hmm. that they're playing all of a sudden just kind of like stops being there, which is a fun signal for like, oh, we're going somewhere now. <laughs> we're moving and yeah. we're moving. Yep. No, I don't think it's a bad track, but I agree with you. It, it fits well in the album, but I'm not going to go and just listen to this album or listen to this track. Intentionally. Yeah. Yeah. I think also the, the lyrics are a bit more like repetitive. Yeah kind of got in the way i'm curious to look up the original yeah because gare is male which might lend a very different quality to this also i'm wondering if he plays it on guitar or if he plays piano on it or what so i may seek out the i might look up the originals of all of these that are on here just check them out that'd be interesting yeah yeah but yeah that's all i have on this track really I'm sure you're you're ready to get into Lucy's Lucy Lockets slash the Quiet Pint slash the Sleepy Sailors. Yeah, this rules. Because this round was was good. Yeah, it's great. Take it away. The first note is yay, it's not slow and focal focused. <laughs> but I just really like the intro that kind of does like a slow roll into like the real melody. I forget what exactly they do. But yeah, they kind of like roll up into what I would consider like the first real melody of that. But that's really fun that they mm -hmm. don't just like jump directly into it. Yeah. There's even a little bass centric thing that they, they kind of do like a little stop right before jumping into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of gets its own little moment to shine. Yep. I loved hearing the hand drums on this. Yes. I noticed Something those that too. I, I 
realized I missed. Like as soon as I heard them, I'm like, right, hand drums are really fun in folk music. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Oh yeah. I said I really wish I knew these tunes better. The last one had some finger drumming on the hand drums mm-hmm. that gave it a very like circular rhythmic feel. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was just really fun. They're a fun track. I like when it starts out. You get a hard pan left accordion and a yeah. hard pan right fiddle. Yep. And the first time or two I listened to it, I didn't think anything of it or didn't notice it. But they are synced up really well in playing. And the only ways that you kind of differentiate are through the idiosyncrasies of the instruments themselves. Mm, like yeah. And how, how they stop playing or don't stop playing at given times. And I just kind of think that's cool as yeah. a music nerd. That is something they do. These two artists are like locked into this groove really well. Yeah. But also in the way that they play, they, they like intentionally differentiate themselves. Yeah. I couldn't tell if it was, I wrote that on a different song on this album, but I couldn't tell if it was just like multiple fiddle players or what, Mm -hmm. but they did. They do that a couple times on this where they have two people playing like very similar timbre style instruments, just like, pretty much in lockstep but also Mm -hmm. very clearly with the freedom to do something else if they want to yeah and it's really it works really well it does i think that's part of that that bit that you were saying where like there's more going on here instrumentally than you notice unless you really dial into it yeah but i also imagine them like really grooving together as they play it but yeah that i thought that track was cool yeah yeah i do want to look up that's funny I didn't realize that he wrote The Quiet Pint. Yeah. Yeah, that was an, an Egan original. Just slipped in, in there, which I like. It's a cool song. But yeah, I or do. A cool round. I I meant to like kind of look up those tunes more and just kind of hear them. It's always fun to hear other people play kind of traditional stuff. Oh yeah, because everybody see. just kind of like throws their own spin on it. Yeah. But, well, you want to move on to the next one? Yeah, so track number five is Wandering Angus. I think it's Ang- it's A-E-N-G-U-S. We're going to go with Angus, which this... That's how I would say it. <laughs> yeah, so this song is based off of, or is a song version of a William Butler Yeats poem. Oh, yeah. From 1899 called The Song of Wandering Angus. <laughs> it features Noriana Kennedy on vocals. And I felt like this song had an almost late 90s, early 2000s country feel to the vocal tone, Hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. I can't cite any artists because I didn't super listen to country back then, aside from... I hear it, though. Like, my dad listened to country back then. Yeah. Here and there. And so, but it it just kind of had that, not in a bad way, and not in, like, pop, like, not in country trying not to be country like honky tonk badonka donk um, <laughs> but in in like true to country but also the glitz and glamour of 90s music kind of way yeah the vocals have that bit of tonality but again this is one of those things where i say like it has a touch of the feel but the the caliber is still way up there in terms of ability and talent and what they do with it uh but I didn't really have anything else on the song. I thought it was a decent song. But. I really like those like little fiddle swells mm-hmm. after kind of the first 
verse after she says little silver trout mm-hmm. um that are really cool i thought the solo was really fun and i love hearing mandolin tremolos and stuff which Agreed. is just somebody playing a note really fast like the same note usually but they do it really well in this and they kind of if i remember right like faded in and out i didn't realize this was based on a poem it's always funny to me because it feels very much like one of those like I got a berry and then I got like, I got a piece of wood and then I got a berry and then I got a trout and then, (laughs) (laughs) and it doesn't, it moves on from there. But for a second, I was like, this feels like one of those, like, I always think of them as like, if you give a mess a cookie songs. (laughs) Yes. There There definitely are some folk tunes. I feel like that are very like, you get this thing and then you get that thing and then you get this other thing. Well, again, it was the end of the 1800s poetry. So yeah, yeah. In Ireland, by the way, William Butler Yeats is Irish, so that again follows that common common thread. Yeah. So that was that track. Any yeah. other thoughts on it? No, I really liked that one. Cool. I did too. I just didn't have much on it. Yeah, it's like one of those where I feel like it was kind of more in it than mm-hmm. anything, and just like was having a little trouble like pulling out specific things to be like this is something i really want to talk about like it's just a good song yeah no, i agree <laughs> the next song track number six is what i would actually just straight up call a cover mm. because the band that they covered is not a folk band they're an american rock band called the young bloods who oh. are thought of as a one-hit wonder they okay. they only had a u.s top 40 entry which was chet powers get together Hmm. So a cover? Yeah. Was there was there one hit wonder? But this song, Darkness Darkness, is not was not a single for them or anything. I would also not call this a rock song. Well, so they're cited as folk rock and psychedelic rock. Okay, now yeah. it could just be that this song, the way that they've done it, is not a rock song. Similar to the way that Sturgill Simpson covered no, I mean the song. I mean the Young Bloods version. Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, we eventually get some electric guitar in there, but it's two minutes into like a fifteen or a three minute or like a four minute song. Interesting. It's not bad. It's pretty. It doesn't feel very far off from what they did. Honestly, that's cool. Well, this song has. I actually did. Oh, it's got Moira Kennedy or Moira Smiley on vocals again. I. I like the intro. I thought the yeah. intro has a unique feel for this album, even though it's it's a pretty standard feel in like what I would call pop folk. Yeah. Looking at you, Mumford and Sons. Um, <laughs> it it still has a good feel and it it feels unique on this album and I, I like that about it. There's also a Robert Plant cover of this. Interesting. Yeah. So Robert Plant. Robert Plant's going to come up in a little bit, actually. We'll get there. Oh. Robert Plant is in my notes. I will say that. I was not expecting And it has nothing to do with music. (laughs) That's even weirder. Yeah. Okay. Curious now. (laughs) Little little teaser for you. I like this song. I did, too. I liked it. I think, you know, I actually mentioned Chris Thiele in these notes in that there's a mandolin on this song. And I think mm-hmm. the mandolin is the real hero of the song. <laughs> yeah. But it's also very, very understated. 
Yeah. Much like Chris Thiele in a Punch Brothers song, uh, the mandolin dances through the entire thing, but it is, it's just so soft about it. Yeah. But if yeah, you it's dial very into soft it, in there. it's awesome. It just is, it flows through so nicely. Yeah. I really like the opening stomps. Yeah. They're, they're very like bassy sounding and add a fun, like just immediately set a fun vibe. I feel like. Yeah. It, the song starts out really beefy. Yeah. Which you don't get often on this album. No. (laughs) It's got some more oomph to it, which is a nice, unique touch on this track. The vocals are pretty powerful. Yeah. They've got they've got a bit more power behind them than we see on on the other Moira Smiley tracks. And I liked that. It was it was commendable. It's got this track has some nice unique touches that make it stand out on the album. Yeah. I wrote that there's like a lot of harmony. Um I wrote harmony potential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it gives the singer a really good time to shine, but also the instrumental side is still always doing something really cool yeah yep yeah, it's cool and track. then i wrote that the band does a good job of unfolding and doing more fun ear candy thing as the song goes on mm-hmm. i think especially that mandolin thing yeah i do it it really does feel like the band kind of unfolds mm-hmm. in a real way yeah i agree also that bass walk down is fun mm-hmm <laughs> And then I have one more note that's just solo part two, question mark. Oh, no, just the outro. <laughs> but I really like the little solo section in here. So I was yeah. kind of excited for a second one, which was I was actually kind of bummed what the song like ended instead. <laughs> that's a good sign, though. When you're bummed, the song ended. That's yeah. a good sign. Yeah, I feel like there was a point on one of the, on the slash recording where we we're like, "Oh God, there's a second solo section. Like the song <laughs> could just be done." Yeah. Instead, in this one, I was like, "Ooh, there's a second solo section. Fun." <laughs> That is a a very distinct difference. <laughs> but no, yeah. this is it's a cool track. I like it. It's an interesting cover choice because I I mean I might be missing something, but I couldn't find any reason for them to cover the Young Bloods aside from somebody being like, I like the song and I think it would sound cool if we did it. Yeah, it's a weirdly popular cover song. There are one, two, 15 cover versions, not counting theirs. Interesting. Listed on Wikipedia. So there's probably a couple more. Hmm. I bet the Young Bloods weren't expecting that. No. Yeah, the Robert Plank version was the same year as this. Really? Yeah. Oh. Was it <laughs> just Robert it Plant like, or was it Robert Plant and somebody else? On the album Dreamland. First album with his backing band, Strange Sensation. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. He actually won a Grammy for the for best male rock vocal performance on Darkness Darkness. Huh. <laughs> I mean Robert Plant winning Grammys is not surprising, but No, especially for vocal performance, but yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's weird. I didn't know this song, but it is apparently much more popular than I would have thought. Hmm. <laughs> Should well, we move on to to Lost in Quimper? Yep. So this is another original track. This was wit- this was written by Wynn the fiddle player uh and it is quimper is the ancient capital of i know i'm gonna butcher this pronunciation but i'm gonna go with cornwall c-o-r-n-o-u-a-i-l-l-e for yeah anyway 
which is the capital of the Celtic nation of Brittany. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yep. So, original song. I thought that the guitar line intro is a nice anchor point starting mm-hmm. off. There's a lot of stuff that moves around it, but it's a good like centerpiece. Yeah. This is actually the song that I thought sounded kind of like Eastern European-y once we got into it. Okay. Like once you get like a minute in and it really kind of hits the full arrangement, it might just be the the waltz thing. Like the, especially like the bridge where it, it's yeah. that like, it's got a falling feeling to it. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Kind of a circular. I can definitely see the Eastern European the vibe feel to it. I also felt it just was a lot like being drunk and lost. Yeah. <laughs> the song yeah, is there's a lot of like mo- whimsical movement to it. Yeah. And it it just kind of has a swirling feel about it. Yeah, it does. It was fun to hear a waltz. It's fun to hear something in a different in a time signature other than 4/4. Yeah. But well, I thought that was a fun track. Yeah. Oh, this is another one where the like fiddles are kind of playing in lockstep, but also kind of not. Yeah. Yep. Which is really fun. It's a really fun, like tone change too on the album. Mm-hmm. I, I love that. They just kind of put it in here. It's nice. Right. Right around the middle. Yeah. And this is one where I was like that. A lot of this playing is more impressive than it sounds like it is. Yes. This, this is a very impressive track. You know, the, like the compositions, the original composition, Seamus's composition with Rory Bumler's Rory, Rory Bumler, and then this one with Lost in Quimper, composed by Wynn. They're really good. Yeah, they're 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 interestingly complex and yet also very listenable. Yeah, yeah, I it's think really that's what comes across as the most interesting about it. Yeah, it never comes across as like too dense to just like throw on in the background while making food. This is a really good kitchen album, by the way. <laughs> Which, that's Can't something else that I, album. I judge by is like, is an album fun to cook too? Similar to like the bridge in Lost in Quimper where everything is, if everything feels like it's falling and you're just like completely lost. So the that kind of bridgey breakdown that happens twice in the song, I said that it feels like when you have a breakdown during your quest to figure out where the hell you are where you just reach <laughs> that part where you're like you're in the middle of a crowd you just kind of like grab your head and close your eyes and squeeze for a second because you don't know if you've seen this building to your right three times already <laughs> or if it's a new building that looks like the other building yeah all while trying to just make it to somewhere <laughs> The track has this Lost in Quimper, I think, has good musical imagery yeah. in that way. Yeah. They're they're good. They're good at that. Yeah. I think that's I don't know. That's an interesting thing too. They're really they're really talented on that in their instrumentals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very. Yeah. But yeah, this is a cool one. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked it. Nice. On to track so, eight. Yeah. Moving on to our next melody one. Yeah. This our is the one. unnamed Shetland Reel slash Danu Rigged Ship. Which is the one that I played. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Danu Rigged Ship? Yeah. Nice. 
Yeah, it was really funny listening to it for the first time because all of a sudden I was like, I know this tune. <laughs> and then I thought about it a bit and I'm like, pretty sure I've played this. Yeah. My first comment know. is, a reel is right. This song has a great groove. Yeah. Um, I wrote this is my shit here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love this. I love this stuff. Um, like when the, I like when the bass suddenly kind of like, it's a thing you can do as a bass player to like kind of subtly up the feel of the tempo mm-hmm. where a lot of the time in folk music, you're just kind of hitting the, the chord note. Yeah. Like the really basic thing. And you're just doing it once kind of thing okay. or holding it. But all of a sudden he switches to keeping like a quarter note pace mm-hmm. with it where it's, you're not really doing anything, but you're suddenly playing it like, you know, four more times and quicker. Mm-hmm. And it's, not something you're gonna like super notice listening, but it's suddenly gonna feel more. There's Dramatic. just gonna be more movement there. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that moment. It definitely happens here, and as soon as it did, I was like, "Yes, <laughs> the bass is alive." Yeah, and I like that. There's like a little listening to it a second time. I was like, "Oh, they play a little drone to like mark the switch." Mm-hmm. You know, on something like this, if you're just gonna go into it without talking you always need something to like mark where you're gonna switch off yeah and they suddenly like there's just a little drone that some somebody goes into that's really kind of cool that is cool but yeah there's just such a like joy to this kind of stuff yeah it just always feels like really dancey in a fun way Mm -hmm. and they just kind of keep upping the ante as they go in on the song like more and more like stomps happen more and more Mm -hmm. drums come in like it just keeps quietly escalating in a way yeah they very much do the like folk tune thing of like it just keeps escalating and finally just kind of stops because there's not a good way to like wind it down like hey we're done (laughs) yeah like you're not gonna wind it down really everybody's just kind of like yeah everybody's dancing up a storm and then you just take a breath I wrote that the uh, the song's got a great groove that's likely in the beginning driven by John Doyle, specifically because he's noted as being really in tune with rhythm and groove in folk playing. And early on in Solace, he played a very percussive rhythm style because they didn't have a drummer. And so he was muting strings and chucking chords while also playing chords (laughs) and so you get muted string chucks similar to like a mandolin when you're playing chuck chords um but also playing voiced chords all at Mm -hmm. the same time um and so i noticed early on in this that you get some of that sound through the guitar yeah and so i think even though, yeah, the song escalates and, like you said, keeps upping the ante, it really does start with a great groove to work off of. Yeah. Right from right from the beginning. But yeah. I just thought it was a fun tune. Yeah. Or two fun tunes. I always like a medley in folk music, too. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what I always appreciate about really high-caliber musicians is their ability to communicate on stage. Um, especially when you watch something like I've got a copy Blu-ray of 
on Eric Clapton's Crossroads Music Festival, which Mm -hmm. you get wild featured people. Like people just jump out to play with other people. Yeah. You'll have six or seven guitarists all out there playing together with one guy's backing band and trading off solos and stuff. And you can tell for the most part, they're all very good at communicating what their intention is to each other. Mm-hmm. And the the backing band and the other people are really good at staying back and kind of watching for the right moment to make a move. And yeah, you get lulls. Like you said, you'll get a little drone somewhere in there. Yeah. But it's all part of the communication at that point. Yeah, it's like somebody being like, okay, I think we should go now. <laughs> it also just makes it easier to switch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but speaking of switch, I'm good to move on to the next track. Same. So the next track is another pronunciation that I'm going to ruin, but I'm going to give it a, try, <laughs> a, a shot because it's also lyrics in the song. So I feel like maybe I should be able to say this. Yeah. It's a Padraig O. McCroy, which yep. means, let me find it, Young Patrick, My Heart. It is listed as, or said to be in multiple articles a tragic rebel song oh yeah no year wise when it originally was written but the vocals are from deirdre scanlon on this one okay this is her only song on the album oh yeah aside from maybe doing harmony throughout somewhere um not a not a bad track by any means but it i didn't have any notes on it it seems like one that was done more out of want to do like a straightforward traditional yeah song also irish people always like singing about fucking british people up can you blame them no not at all (laughs) (laughs) no this song is tempo whiplash i don't understand the placement Hmm. okay and they they hold back the on on arrangement i guess as far as kind of the instrumental part of it goes like mm. it's not until sometime in between like two minutes 30 seconds and two minutes 45 seconds that they do much of anything beyond piano mm. yeah like it's a longish song but it was one of those things where i was like where when are we doing stuff <laughs> <laughs> um, somewhere yeah but that said i wrote that there's like little bass movements and fiddle flourishes in the third verse mm-hmm. before they kind of like take back over for an instrumental break Mm. and that's really cool like again like give me little things beyond just piano chords to focus on yeah little little flourishes here and there little flashes of the real not the real talent but more than just like you said the vocals yeah like this is not a band that's just uh like everyone banded around a singer this is yeah a band of everyone who's talented in their own right yeah, like I never want to feel like the instrumental players are just kind of sitting in the studio, like mm-hmm. playing, you know, playing on the four and then, yeah, <laughs> like walking you. out. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want them to do something. I do think the outro is really long, though. Yeah, um, I can agree with that. Like I said, I think it's more something that they were doing, like culturally true to true to its name. Yeah. All right. So yeah, brings us to the next track, which is You Are Not Alone. Yep. I'll start with the origin. This is actually a Patty Griffin cover. Who? Oh, that I was not expecting. <laughs> yep. This is a, a Patty Griffin cover. And 
Patty Griffin is a folk musician from Old Town, Maine. She is a very heavily covered artist, mostly by country artists like Sugarland, The Chicks, formerly known as the Dixie Chicks. She's been covered by Kelly Clarkson and Emmylou Harris. And this song does sound to me like folk country. Yeah. This is where our mention of Robert Plant comes in because Patty Griffin and Robert Plant dated for a bit up until 2016. So Robert oh, yeah. Plant is in here somewhere. She's also is an she? Austinite. Interesting. Yeah. This song has vocals by Karen Casey. And I think, is this Karen Casey's only song or is it? Yeah, this is the, no, she's got one more song on this album. So, yep. Okay, yeah. I honestly don't have any notes on this track either. Outside of saying, like I said, it sounds very folk country. It wasn't necessarily bad. I think the song suited yeah. her voice nicely. It's a nice, yeah. it's a nice I like the harmonies. I wrote, it did feel a lot like mid-album filler, which you have a 16-track album. I don't know that you need that. Maybe the vocalist really liked the song and wanted to do it. I think when you yeah. got a lot of different vocalists like this album does, you get some diversity of preference. And so that might have been yeah. it. Maybe she just really liked Patty's work and wanted to cover some of her stuff. Yeah. I don't have much on this. Yeah. <laughs> I liked the accordion coming in more in mm. the solo parts. And other than that, I was like, I, I just don't have much yeah, to say. Yeah, I think I'll I'll say as far as like the album goes, I think this song, You're Not Alone, and then the next song, Little Bird of Heaven, are you could say you could maybe look at both of them as like mid album filler. I see them as feeling like they've got different feel than the rest of the album and they're more yeah. modern choices. And they're yeah. a bit lighter. I don't know if I want to call them filler or if I just want to say they're they're lighter choices that give a little bit of breathing room in the middle of the album where you typically get more dense instrumental onslaught so maybe yeah. even in a set if you were doing if you were touring this album in a set this this gives you a little bit of breathing room i could say that yeah do you want to talk about little bird sure, of heaven? little bird of heaven is also a cover it's a Martha Scanlon cover. Martha Scanlon's a Montana-born Irish-American singer. And the vocals on this are from Married Felon. Felon? I don't want to inadvertently call somebody a felon. Um, I <laughs> like the understated instrumentals on this track. And I think that there were some nice, light, breathy harmonies in the vocals. Yeah, I wrote, if the Beatles were Irish, is my first note. That, you know, there are worse things to be said. <laughs> <laughs> there are way worse things yeah. you could say about a track. I could agree with that. I think I've never heard the original Little Bird of Heaven, but this is a no, nice light little song. It feels summery in a way I actually yeah. really liked. I don't have a lot of notes for it, but like the vibe is Yeah, this nice. is the only song that she does vocals on and I couldn't imagine any of the other vocalists on this track. I think it suits her voice really well in the airiness of it yeah so, yeah i thought it was a nice again a nice break in the album yeah yeah i liked this one better than the last one just because i thought the vibe was not more mm -hmm. fun but i don't know i just really liked the vibe yeah, on this one i can agree felt like nice like sunny day <laughs> kind of 
hanging yeah, out in a field. So the next track, yeah. I actually don't have any info on where it came from. The next okay. track is Mr. and Mrs. Walsh. I also didn't dig on this one. I didn't try to find where it had come from. But yeah, Mr. and Mrs. Walsh, I I didn't find an origin of this song, but it's another instrumental. So what'd you think of it? I really like it. I thought the builds into the main melody again mm-hmm. was fun. They kind of pull that trick again. Like the second time they get into the B part, there's like some other instrument that I couldn't identify that comes in. That was mm-hmm. really cool. There's a little bass block down into the bridge that I like and like a weird wind instrument mm-hmm. on the bridge. Mm-hmm. I think I liked the other instrumental ones more, but I had a lot of fun with this one still. And I think especially after the other ones that felt a little more like mid-album filler tone change kind of thing it was fun to kind of be back here but like i said this is more kind of my vibe yeah (laughs) looking from from the little bit of extra digging i did it looks like this is another original but i'm not sure who wrote it i thought it's got interesting this is another one of those highlights of just really interesting tones and techniques that i don't typically hear that i'm not used to hearing outside of this album there wasn't much really standout Aside from one specific tone, right at the end, there's a warble of like a flute that reminded Mm. me, honestly, of the sound from the intro of We Carry On off of Portishead's third. Third album, but also the name of the album is third. But there's just a, (laughs) just a, like a boo, and it kind of warbles a little bit. Um, And it reminded me of that tonally my brain just jumped there so i don't know some dj needs to mash that up (laughs) that would be weird and maybe too out there but this song like i said there wasn't anything else stand out about it to me not in a bad way just in a it's another instrumental off this album and it was a good instrumental it sounds cool it's got the same good feel yeah i thought it was really fun and so that brings us to track 13 which is as I went out walking, I always immediately think of an Iron and Wine song when I hear hmm. this title. Um, it's an Iron and Wine song called "I Went Walking Far From Home" or something like that. Does it have a banjo that really intro liked. that sounds a lot like Taylor Swift's "Red"? No, because that's what—that's the vibe I got from this. But again, it's like a fleeting thought of, "Hey, this reminds me of." Although the work on this is way more complex. <laughs> yeah i like the little vocal trills yeah. oh vocals on this are by moira smiley also just to square that away you yeah. know i i said the the taylor swift's red note but it's a lot less pop and it's more complex with a lot more interplay but then my only other note was ah a good old-fashioned i went out for a walk but came upon a lover's quarrel and decided it was more entertaining to eavesdrop kind of song I mean, is it not? Oh, no, that's exactly what it is. (laughs) I went for a walk, but this couple was fighting, and I grabbed some popcorn, kicked back. Yeah. Because that's what you do. They break up in the end, clearly, because that's also what you do. But Well, or you get together and are married. It's like one or the other. These two are not getting married, though. I I like the little vocal trills, like I said. There's little instrumental breaks that I thought were really cool, too. Yeah. I agree. And there's like a a full pause before the band really comes mm-hmm. in in earnest that I thought was really good. I don't have a lot of notes for it, but... Like I said, I, I thought it was 
decent. Moira Smiley's vocals are good. The instrumentals yes. are good on it. I I spent more of my time listening to the lyrics and then just kind of chuckling over them. Because you're just like, yeah, this is this is drama played out in song. This is how it goes. But like the entire yeah. time I was picturing, I wasn't picturing the lovers quarrel. I was picturing from Moira's point of view of like, I went out walking, but then this. So clearly <laughs> you're not walking if you heard the entirety of their argument. Unless you're yeah. walking circles around them, in which case you're kind of weird. But <laughs> Again, I don't think there's a bad track on this album. There are times that I don't have no. thoughts on it, or I didn't have many thoughts. But there's no track on this album that I would toss. So no. So there's that. Although it is a really long. It is album. a very long album. I think it's. I think we can move not quickly, but I think we can move to wrap up through these last couple songs. I don't have very many notes on them, but I want to talk on them. So yeah, I'm good with that. So that brings us to track fourteen, which is Willie Moore. Which is a classic Appalachian song. I thought that was interesting. The song yeah. is originally by Dick Burnett. He wrote it in the 1920s. Okay. He is most famous for composing Man of Constant Sorrow in 1913. What? <laughs> but better than that is the story of this man. So Dick Burnett lived from 1887 to 1977. He lived in Kentucky. He was blinded by a robber's gunshot in 1907. Jeez. And like many blind people in the South, was forced to become a musician. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really it. But I just thought it was sad and interesting that at the age of 20, he was blinded by a robber's gunshot and was like, well, I guess I'm blind Dick Burnett now. Yeah, and then wrote "Man of Constant Sorrow" six years later, which you know what? Fair <laughs> at some point, <laughs> he was forever a man of sorrow. At that point, this song is super sad. Yeah, my first note is "Ooh, full band singing," and then my second note, not realizing that this was an Appalachian folk tune, is that Irish folk songs are largely fucked up. <laughs> the main vocals if we're talking on this lyrically. Are, yeah, the main vocals on this are from. Naim Varian Barry, the only song from her as far as primary vocals go. But yeah, I agree. Right. The song is song's messed up. Yeah, there's there's a lot of songs like this in, in the Yeah. In folk traditions worldwide, I would say actually. Yeah, I would agree. I mean it is it it starts out as with like a bit of Romeo and Juliet to it. Yeah. Of my lover wanted to marry me and my mom and dad said no. Yeah. So I killed myself. Yeah. Way less of the plans to fake kill yourself. Yeah, no, there was no faking. She just went for it. Yeah, it's sad. Oh, and then Willie Moore moves to Canada, Montreal specifically, and dies of a broken heart. The end. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone yeah, is sad. The end. Every, everyone's sad. It goes bad <laughs> for everybody. That's it. Yeah, that's the song. I mean, it it sounds good though. But yeah, it's a good song. It, like musically, it's like it's a it's sad to say it, but it's a good song. Yeah, I just thought it was funny when we got to this one, and I was like, "Oh, we're doing the folk song about how everyone dies, and it's all sad." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yep. 
We well, the parents don't die. The genre. parents just mourn and cry. Yeah. And her friends all gather around and cry. Yep. And yeah, Willie not never everybody dies, but the and then he leaves. The main people die. Yes. And so. are sad. Yeah. Usually, one person dies, the other person is sad, and then also dies. Yep. In this yeah. case, of being sad. Yep. So, so that's Willie Moore. Yeah. And then after that, we move into what's considered another traditional Irish Irish song, which is "16 Come Next Sunday," sung by Karen Casey. I mean, sound-wise, it does sound pretty traditional. Yep. There's a lot of what I can only describe as like Irish scatting in this song. Yes. Yeah, there's a lot of little vocal flourishes. I kind of like Irish scatting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Irish scooby boo bop to bow <laughs> Yeah. The lyrics are tough to follow in that regard at times. Um, yep. There's some good dizzying chord work again. Yeah. Which I like. That, that I think, lends to the traditional feel also. Yeah. So, this is actually a cover, or it's, like I said, a traditional song, but it's most famously recorded by the Boffy Band on, on their classic 1976 album, Old Hag, You Have Killed Me. <laughs> That's an incredible title. Right? Whoa. They, Whoa. Uh, so in this album review I'm reading from London Celtic Punks, it says that the Bothy Band were an outstanding 1970s band who gained a reputation as one of the most influential bands in the history of Irish traditional music. And they had a significant impact on Celtic rock and Celtic punk. Hmm. Nice. So that is uh, 16 Come Next Sunday. Yeah. Did you have any other thoughts on it aside from Irish scatting is great? No. No, I didn't. I didn't have a lot of notes towards the end, honestly. Yeah, I mean, this album gets, it doesn't get repetitive. It just feels like you... At a certain point, you said, I don't want to keep saying the same stuff. Yeah, I've already said. These, inst- the, these musicians are really talented, and this music is good. Yeah. Next track. But, so, with that, we move to track 16, titled All These Years. I think this is a really nice closer to this album. Yeah. To apparently this band. Yeah. Yeah. This being the last song that the band did together too is really interesting. Yeah. The song feels very introspective. Reflective. Yeah. It starts with just piano. It feels like a very modern kind of like singer songwriter. My first note is, are we doing mad world? It, to me, it sounded almost like, movie score yeah it reminded me of the similar feel of like the end of oceans 11 which is uh oh what song is that now i can't remember but you were gonna say are we doing mad world yes and then i wrote with the violin it winds up actually feeling very like classical yeah like not at that point we're doing we're we're back to violin Mm -hmm. (laughs) we're not we're not calling it a fiddle anymore it's, it's violin at that point by the way, the song from Ocean's Eleven is Claire de Lune. Oh, yeah. At the end when they're standing around the fountain. I could not remember what song it that It just was. has that that like introspective um feel to it. Um it's like smooth and bittersweet 
at the same time. Yeah. I will say, though, if you listen to this track and then you have the album set to repeat, going back to Rory Bumler's is a weird, jarring transition. Yeah, like, I did write that it's it's a really beautiful song, and I like it, and it's kind of a weird way to send off the album. I do think it's a good closer, but it's also not... It's not a lot of the vibe that this album has, I guess. No, it's not. This track stands different from everything else. It's a nice musical composition, I think. Yeah. I, I feel that way. Yeah, but it, no. It definitely has like a, a unique place in the album. Yeah, it's a really, really beautiful composition honestly yeah yeah Yeah. i wouldn't scrap it i get what you're saying i do i i think it if you don't think of this as an album of like i don't know sessionable background on loop kind of music like if you don't think of it like you're listening to nonagon infinity (laughs) and instead you think of this album as a statement piece like this is the culmination of 20 years of combined effort to this band and this is what we give you it's like a nice hats off yeah well piece yeah but it's different from everything else on the album by like a lot too by a lot but i think it also <laughs> highlights like instrumental and compositional talent of the people involved yeah they can do a lot yeah so but yeah with that that's, that's all these years by solace i liked it Good, really I'm glad. Good. I liked it too. I thought it was a good album. It was it was something different for us. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know these these guys. I'm kind of sad that they're not doing anything new. Now. Well, um, I mean, some but, of them are like they're like I said that Moira Smiley and Voco um, album just came out last year. John Doyle just came out with an album last year, and he's very active. And so the other guys. The other people in the band are also doing things on their own. Seamus Egan released an album just last August called Three Way Street. Okay. Um, but yeah, so they're still, the artists are still doing things. Solace is considered a, like an Irish supergroup at this point, but they all started when they were not really doing anything yet. That's cool. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. Yeah. It was a fun album. And that's it for today. Thanks for listening. We know everybody asks you to do this, but if you could subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice, or even just tell a friend that you think would be interested in checking us out, it really does help. So thanks very much in advance for that. If you have suggestions, you can email us at lastvestigepod at gmail.com. Thanks very much. And we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. I did have this thought one time. You know how we get crazy ideas of things that we'd like to do, like with the podcast or something. Yeah. I had a crazy idea one time where like it would be fun to record an episode of the podcast while cooking. If you could isolate if you could isolate oh. the vocals so that it wasn't muddied by the sounds of the kitchen. But it would be fun yeah. to have a video a video episode of cooking while talking music. I don't know. How oh no, it's pure fantasy. It's not going to work. It. It's, a, it's it's not I'm a good idea. Everything don't, don't wrong there. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. I, when you saw Steely Diddy do the thing where I think it might have been the show before I saw him with you, but they were just, it was him and Michael Davies, a uh-huh. guitar player, and they were just taking, they would just ask the audience for like three song suggestions and then just with the whole, the one rule that it couldn't be a song with vocals. <laughs> and then they would just throw together That's a medley. Amazing. Like on That's the spot. Wild. It was so It was cool. not that show that I saw him because I saw him solo because it was Bachtoberfest. And so right. he was playing some of his originals, um, some other stuff, and then Yeah, Bach, he had just put out the Bach. Which was yeah. also um, wildly impressive. Yeah. The uh the Michael Davies song they also like went through a bottle of bourbon between them. Did the playing change at all? Uh I'd have gotten a little looser, but they were still really good. <laughs> That's all that matters, right? I think I think they even got a refill at one point. <laughs> Never seen a like a stagehand sneak on stage just to drop another bottle. Um but yeah, them just like making up a medley like that on the spot was that is wild. And when I started to notice that you need some sort of like signal to transition. <laughs> I think more cultures should have considering the empire that the British built for a while, I think there should be more fuck the British up songs. Like Um, Middle Eastern songs about fucking up the British, Irish, and Scottish. I bet you they exist. Oh, I'm sure they do. Um, British people now are a different story, if you're listening Yeah, yeah, that's not what we um, mean. That's not what we mean. (laughs) Please continue to listen to our podcast. uh, All, like, half of a British listener that we have. Yeah, but also you did do a lot of colonialism. I listened to a really funny comedy routine that talks about that one time where somebody was trying to act out what it was like in... Was it the Eddie Izzard bit about flags? No, he was from India and he was talking about what it would have been like (laughs) living there and having a British colonizer show up and be like, we, you know, we declare this the property of Great Britain. And he was like, so who declared you to be Great Britain? And like, well, we gave the name to ourselves. And he's like, so you call yourself great? Like, you got to decide <laughs> that you are great? Isn't that a bit pompous <laughs> of you? And they're like, well, no, the it's under God that we decided that. And they just kind of have this back and forth. Yep. Um Look, I'm just saying that Behind the Bastards has a lot of episodes <laughs> on stuff that the British Empire did at the height of colonialization. Um, and with that... <laughs> yeah, um, 